It is the midway point of the Big Ten season for the men's basketball team. So no better time to welcome in a special guest, Dustin DePierak of the Bloomington Herald Times, to talk about uh, where the Hoosiers have been, where they, how far they've come, and also a little bit of talk about the football program today. Special episode today for you guys. You are Locked On Hoosiers, your daily podcast on the Indiana Hoosiers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is up, Hoosiers? It is Thursday, February 3rd. This, as always, is your daily one-stop shop for all IU athletics news, analysis, previews, and recaps. Locked on Hoosiers here for you guys every day. I'm your host, as always, Jacob Rude. I want to thank you guys for making us part of your day and for making Locked on Hoosiers your first listen every day. Reminder, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, uh, where we premiere the episodes at 7 a.m. So you guys can all uh, join in together watching as part of your morning routine. Uh, those will be on YouTube live every morning at 7 a.m. Special episode, as we said, welcome in, welcoming in Dustin DePierak, Bloomington Herald Times uh, basketball, football beat writer. He's been around the program, uh, the entire IU athletics program for quite a while. So certainly will bring a lot of perspective to this season. Before we jump into that interview, though, as always, you can subscribe to Locked on Hoosiers wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Hoosiers uh, or on Instagram at Locked on Hoosiers. Without further ado, let's throw it to the interview. And now we are joined by Dustin DePierak uh, of the Bloomington Herald Times. Uh, been at a lot of places covering IU throughout the years. Uh, Dustin, thanks a ton for coming on. How are you doing today? Doing good, Jacob. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, appreciate you stopping by to talk about what's been a, a really uh, fun IU basketball season, which um, there haven't been a lot of those in recent years. And uh it's been a joy to watch this team, uh, specifically kind of looking back to last weekend, that Maryland game. We talked about it uh, at the time, but um, it to me, it felt like one of the best performances of the season. Obviously, that Purdue game is probably going to be the best performance of the season. But um, having kind of watched that game and, and now that we've had some time to, to digest it, I mean, to me, it felt like... Um, the team kind of turned the corner a bit in that game. Is that a sense you kind of got from that contest? Uh, to, to an extent. I mean, obviously, I think there's more. Uh, there's still a lot more hurdles left, and there's still some games. I mean, I, I don't think you can look at that game and say, man, they, they got it all right now. They're going to roll. Uh, you know, that's that's not how uh, the, a Big Ten season works generally. I mean, you're you're just you're going to have ups and downs, and it's not a uh, it's not a schedule that just you're just going to sprint right through unless you're really 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 good. Un unless you're a team that ends up being a top seed and, and, and is a Final Four contender. I mean, generally, you're you're still. Uh, with a team like Indiana that I think still has flaws. I mean, there, there are still going to be, um, you know, some bumps in the road coming up. It's not, it's not all going to be that way, but I think um, to go from the sort of the change in dynamic from 
Purdue to Michigan when, when that week was just there was just so much emotion there, just so, so much high and, and then a, sort of a, a crashing low uh, after that a, against Michigan. And, and I think that's kind of how it had to be. I mean, against Purdue, I think they had to really, really get up for it. I, I don't think they win that game if they're not playing a little bit out of their shoes, if they're not playing with their hair on fire, if they're not riding the emotional wave. Uh, I don't know that that's a team that you can beat. Like you, you have to be you know, on a 10 and it's probably going to take you just playing a, a, a little bit with your hair on fire and then – having kind of an emotional crash after that, you know, like that, that, that kind of comes with the territory. I think when you win some of those games, if you sometimes beat a team that is more talented than you and you expend all, all that, not just physical energy, but emotional energy to win a game like that, you're probably going to have uh, a downturn to some extent. They obviously had one against Michigan, but I think, I mean, I think they recognize a lot of things there. I mean, I think number one, it was like, okay, we, we just did this. That is exactly what happened. We, we played out of our shoes one night and then we came back and we we were sort of out of gas and spent uh, for the next one for, for a team that is not that much better than Indiana. I thought, I thought played really well. I thought Michigan like is, is a different team when they're firing on all cylinders. Obviously they haven't been very good this year, but when you get Caleb Houston shooting threes and you get Diabate producing and Hunter Dickinson is really, really good you know they, they can be a really tough out and they, and they were a pretty tough matchup for indiana um but i think these last two games penn state and maryland both and particularly maryland um you know just showed some emotional maturity showed them getting past um you know an, an emotionally draining week and then you know sort of rediscovering themselves and, and getting back to being able to play on a level um and you know it's, it's tough to go on the road anywhere Maryland is is a tough enough environment. I mean, it's I wouldn't call it one of the top three or four uh, most hostile places in the Big Ten. But you know, people are there. It's it's a big enough crowd, and and when they're good, they can really care. They haven't beaten Maryland in College Park since uh, Maryland joined the Big Ten in 2015. Um, they hadn't played since 1934. Indiana last beat them in College Park in 1934, but it never won in that building. Um, so it, it is a game that matters, and I think it, it showed. You know, I mean. Blueprint might be overstating the case, but, you know, it kind of proved that there are teams in the Big Ten that Indiana can outmuscle uh, and just decide to beat in the paint. I mean, it was 36-20 in the paint. Indiana really didn't have an answer for Trace Jackson Davis or Race Thompson. And Indiana defended Maryland's best guys. I mean, Trey Galloway really took, took Eric Isle out of that game. Uh, Xavier Johnson pretty much snuffed out Fats Russell, more or less. Um, so there was adherence to the game plan. There was smart overall play. Um, you know, good defense uh, and, and toughness. And they were just in control really after they fell behind Ado out of the break, out, out of the game or out of the start of the game, off, off of tip. I mean, uh, I think they followed that with like 11 13 0 run after that. And they were in control the rest of the way. And, and it's tough to go um, control a game on the road. Now, I mean, I didn't think Maryland played well. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, Maryland had to ask itself a lot of questions after they got that game. And obviously, they gave Michigan State some trouble uh, last night. Um, so, you know, there's there's some. Um, you know, other teams have ups and downs, too, and Indiana managed to catch Maryland on a down day. Uh, but all the same, I mean, catching them on a down day and punishing them for it is, I think, a thing that that a uh, mature team does. And and I think Indiana's getting there. They're still not, you know, I mean, the, these guys haven't, you know, all won together. They're, the, their current combinations are different than they've ever been. Their point guard is, is new to them. You know, they're, you know, three of their starting five are new guys this year. Uh, you know, significant parts of their bench are new. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it is still a team that's figuring out how to win. It hasn't been to an NCAA tournament together, even though it deserved to go two years ago. You know, Trace Jackson Davis, Race Thompson, Rob Finnessy, those guys deserve to have one uh, on their belt. It's just because of COVID that they don't. Um, but all the same, they have not been there. They haven't witnessed that. They don't know what that's like. So there is a lot that they're still learning how to do. And, and, there is signs that they're learning how to do it.
Yeah, maturity is a, a word I like because I thought those Penn State and Maryland games were just that. Those were two games. The Hoosiers were were better than their opponent, and they took it took control of the game in both contests and um, won both of them. And, and you mentioned uh, just the learning how to win. I, I kind of compare a lot of the the recent performances. If you look back to those Syracuse game, the the Wisconsin game, and uh, how things kind of got out of hand at times uh, in those mm. games and how the Hoosiers let them get away and you compare it to to some of their recent wins. I mean, is this a group that you think is learning kind of how to win now later in the season? I think it is. I think I think there's a few pieces to it. There's definitely a, a learning what has to happen. Um, you know, sometimes you got to get burned to figure it out. Uh, you know, some, sometimes you have to lose a game. You have to crumple at the end and look back and see what you did wrong and say, okay, we'll, we'll never do that again. Um, and, but it's, it's, it's sometimes it's just sort of maintaining a mental toughness and saying like, okay, like we can't get, uh, frustrated this way. We, we can't start forcing things. We can't start panicking. Um, and I think you saw signs of that. I mean, I, I, uh, for, you know, whatever reason, wasn't in, I wasn't in a position to watch the Wisconsin game really. So I only caught bits and pieces of that of what went wrong there, but obviously you saw Iowa, uh, that they just sort of stumbled to the end. I mean, Syracuse was just nuts. I mean, that was just a wild, yeah. game. um, you know, in the hundreds, everybody was just chucking it up. And, and at some point someone was going to make the last shot. Um, yeah. but you know, uh, Iowa, obviously just the turnovers against the press, um, you know, I mean, they were beating it earlier and they, they just stopped. They, they just reached a point where they were having a hard time getting the ball across the timeline. Um, you know, then saying, OK, I mean, obviously not as many teams in the Big Ten press like Iowa does. Not, not many like like to play at that pace, um, but they've burned that in the past. I mean, they, they, they've beaten Iowa in the past trying to do that. And for those guys to fall apart against that, I was just like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, they, they they figured some things out there. I think a big key to it, a big reason why they're a different team um, and, and what I think allows them to be able to put a team away and, and, and allows them to not get scorched by somebody is Trey Galloway. Uh, yeah. I think it's a really big piece defensively, especially. I mean, he helps on offense. You know, there's there's things he does well as far as, as, far as creating off the bounce. Um, but a big thing is, is that it, it makes it harder for, you know, like – Johnny Davis would not have it had as easy a day if Trey Galloway's in the game. You know, Buddy Bayheim doesn't have as easy of a day if Trey Galloway's in the game um, because I think he's given them a guy that can – He's that's been, I think, really the missing piece on defense where they've been pretty good defensively all year, but they haven't had a, a guy who really handles twos and threes well, where you have Rich Thompson who can really handle a playmaking four, an E.J. Liddell, something like that. Um, you know, Trace Jackson Davis is going to have the edge most nights at the five. Sometimes he won't, but for the, for the most part, uh, he does that well. And he's going to be able to protect the rim as well. You've got at least somebody there in the back that's going to be able to usually challenge something that comes up at the rim. But uh, and and they've had you know Xavier Johnson and Rob Finnessy who have been good at just defending you know lead guards, dribble penetration, that sort of thing. And they they're okay if you put them both on the floor. One of those guys taking a two, they're okay at that. But when you've got a sort of bigger six four six five kind of guy. Um, who can score from outside and from inside, you know, three level guys, um, you know, the Johnny Davis is the world, the, the Jaden Ivies of the world. They really didn't have anybody who really fit that assignment. And Trey Galloway does because he's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got the tenacity. Um, he can run through screens if you're if you're making him, you know, just run laps uh, around, you know, staggered screens like Trey Galloway can survive that and come out on the other side uh, better than anybody on the team. I think. Um, and so you look back at, I, at at the Ivy performance, you know, we really watched that game out of uh, the buckets Ivy had. I mean, Ivy still had 21, 
but only I think maybe three of them come when when Galloway's on the floor, and uh, one of them comes when he he gets they, they switched up, put Geronimo on him, and Ivy just blew by Geronimo, um, and mm-hmm. another when. Um, Galloway just gets leveled by a screen. So he's like basically yeah. not by the play. You know, basically he gets trapped and there's no way of him getting back to Ivy. There's just too big of a body in between him and, and nobody nobody really switches and picks it up. Like Ivy just manages to get downhill. There's only one shot that Ivy goes over top of Galloway for. Um, and so that's a big reason why Ivy doesn't take that game over, you know, in the second half. And in, in the first half, I mean, Galloway drove him absolutely nuts to the point where <laughs> Ivy just shoves him. Um, and, and that's, you know, I mean, like Ivy's got some fire, but like, that's a mature kid. That's a good dude. Mm-hmm. That's a son of a coach. Like his mom is, you know, like his mom is, is in charge of one of the most important programs in women's college basketball, you know, was an NBA coach. You know, you're not looking at a hothead. Jaden Ivy got driven crazy by Trey Galloway. That was very out of character. And that tells you that Galloway gets in people and drives them nuts. And that allows you to be a team that can close. If you can keep an explosive two guard like Jaden Ivy from taking it away from you, um, you can close games. And so Galloway gives them that piece. I mean, they were already really good, but that's that last spot that they didn't have. You know, uh, Parker Stewart and Miller Cop, as good of shooters as they are, just on the defensive end, they're not those guys. You know, Miller, they can both chase around a shooter like a Sasha Stefanovic, which they did really well um, in that game. Um, you know, made, I think Sasha was one for seven. But a guy who can beat you off the dribble and score over top of you uh, requires a certain kind of defender. And Trey Galloway is that kind of defender. And again, that, that allows you to close a game at home or on the road uh, in ways that I don't think they were able to before. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to keep talking about Trey Galloway and the guards as a whole here. Uh, right after this break. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs all the way to the big game in a couple weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, news, and more this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online where the game starts. It's Super Week brought to you by Get Upside, and there's no better place to get coverage of the big game than the Locked On NFL podcast. Uh, Locked On NFL, Locked On Bengals, Locked On Rams, all are going to be in LA all week. Uh, covering the big game. So be sure to check those guys out. Now back to our conversation. Maybe I'm speaking for myself alone here, but uh, I did not put uh, quite as much stock maybe as I should have at Trey Galloway's absence at the beginning of the year. Um, He goes down in that St. John's game, obviously, and uh, he missed a a good chunk of time. Uh, Comes back, though, and, and really just hit the ground running. There was no easing in process or anything like that, and comes back in that uh, Ohio State game and, and is making big plays to to help them get that win. Uh, and as you said, he's he's been a huge factor in this team since he's been back in Big Ten play um, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, creating havoc. Uh, I know that's a, a football buzzword, but uh, mm. getting steals and, and things like that. Um, and I think he's kind of uh, signified a, a bit of a shift here is just the improved guard play overall. 
Um, I know early in the season there was a lot of talk about the guards maybe holding this team back a little bit, but uh, as we get deeper into Big Ten play with Trey Galloway, with Xavier Johnson, with Finnessy before he was hurt, um, are, how much are we seeing these guards improve now? Oh, no, a lot. I mean, I think they're, it's it's a very different group than it was before, and it's a dynamic that had to figure itself out and, and still is. I mean, I think you're still, um, you know, like the, so, so some of the rest of the guys have uh, come down while those guys have gone up. I mean, I, I mean, if, if I would have told you in, you know, late November, early December that it's a matter of time before Tamar Bates is in the starting five. I would have said that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a lock that he is because, I mean, from a skill set level, he's the um, – he's the best three level scorer. Like when, when you just, again, look at making a pedigree, what he's been all of his life. He's the one guy that you can imagine just being able to get his own and score either in the pull-up game from three or going to the rim. And he just hasn't scored at all. Uh, I mean, he's just, just hit a tough patch where he's just having a hard time getting the ball to get in the, go in the hole. Um, and, and he hasn't risen as fast. And, and I don't think, I don't think he's hopeless at all. I mean, I think at some point mm-hmm. he's going to pull out of it. You know, it, it won't be the freshman year that I think he, uh, hoped and had reason to believe that he could have, but he can still play himself. I think into being a really good player, uh, next year. I, mean, I, I would not be shocked if at some point, um, you know, Tamar Bates is an all big 10 guy and ends up being an NBA guy. I don't think that, I don't think that's out of the question still. Uh, it's just a, a slump and it's an extended one, but, um, it's, you know, initially sort of, he, he had a different role and obviously Galloway was hurt for a while. Um, and, and I think Xavier Johnson obviously is a, he's always been a high risk, high reward guy. And I think he sort of had to figure out who he had to be, um, for this team and, and how he had to change and how he had to sort of complete himself in a guard as a guard. Um, I think Finnessy's mostly been, you know, he's, he's obviously had games where he shot it better. Um, he's been more steady than not. Um, but the, but the games where he, he proved that he could shoot the basketball were really, really important. Obviously Minnesota was basically begging him to shoot threes. I mean, they were just giving him six, seven, eight, 10 feet and saying, Rob, you know, we don't believe you're going to hit this, take all the time you'd like, go ahead. And then he drilled it in their eye four or five times. And then Purdue, you know, it wasn't exactly the same, but they were saying, okay, well, we're, we're not, playing over top screens for you. We're going to sit there and drop and we're going to dare you to shoot those. And he's like, well, I'll take those two if you'll give them to me, no problem. Um, but, you know, I mean, from a defensive standpoint, he's been pretty solid, you know, decision-making. Um, I think been more aggressive off the bounce for most this year. But I think Johnson really had to figure uh, himself out, just, just, just play, figure out how to still be aggressive and play under control. And that's, that's a tough balance to walk. It's a tough line because, I mean, he's always, you know, you, because really – those two guys have had the opposite problems where Finnessy has been very risk averse, not tried to turn the ball over, been really, you know, uh, focused on that, but doesn't end up making enough plays. And Johnson is a guy who makes a lot of plays. He's clearly the fastest guy with the basketball, most explosive guy getting downhill off the dribble, able to create in ways nobody on the team can, but, you know, sometimes gets around the rim and throws up something wild or, you know, misses an opportunity at a kickout or, you know, tries to force a pass that isn't there. Um, he, I think, is seeing the floor better, um, shooting it a little bit better, finishing, I think, better. And I think that's really important is that, that he's getting there, getting his feet under him, you know, getting under control when he goes to the rim and, and getting something that, you know, he just seems to have more of a plan as to where he's trying to put the ball off the backboard. Um, and, and just instead of just going with just straight raw aggression and just trusting that if you put it near there, it's going to go in, you know, there is a sense when it goes up, I think now of, all right, you know, how do I play off contact? Is this guy going to hit me? And if he does, where do I go with the basketball so that it goes in? 
Um, and I think he's figured that piece out. And I think that's really important. I mean, he's just, he's such a key X factor for this team. Um, you know, just if, if you can trust him to get points, get assists, move the ball the right, right way, not turn it over, uh, you know, the ceiling goes up for them a whole lot. And he's been able to do that. Uh, you know, with Galloway to, to go, I mean, you, you mentioned just not realizing how big of a deal it was going to be. I mean, I think um, what's happened, I mean, like you, you saw good flashes from him last year and and if you'd followed his you know if you followed his career in high school you know he was a guy that really cared about defense um did a lot of smart things he's a coach's son you know it was a winner at culver um and so that the, the, there was going to be something like that there but there's a difference from a guy being a pretty good defensive guy to a guy being able to take on the assignment um you know that that's an extra step and you know it's it's tough for a freshman to do and for a sophomore even that, that he had missed a lot of time i mean that that's tough to throw him in. And, and if you, you know, like I, I went back and watched some of the film to just get a sense of who else, you know, cause he's, it, you know, his IV performance stood out to me, his um, uh, performance against Ayala really stood out to me. I was like, who else did he guard? And um, you know, it, it took a while for it, you know, Indiana obviously to determine that, that he should get bigger assignments. I mean, he, he, uh, a lot of time in the Ohio state game when he came back, he's on Justin Aaron's um, and that's important because Justin Aaron's can burn you from three, but he's not taking it to you. Um, you know, he is sitting back and he's waiting for threes. I mean, he's probably, I don't know, 90% of his shots in his college career have been from three, probably some, something along those lines, at least 80. Um, and you know, but Galloway can do more than that. Um, you know, Iowa, I mean, he had some time on Jordan Bohannon, um, but mostly it was like Aaron Euliss and Connor McCaffrey. And, and, and so, um, they, it's not that they didn't challenge him, but they didn't, I think noticed that like, no, he can go get the big dog. And I think that was, you know, Bryce McGowan's was, I think a guy that he sort of started with. I mean, uh, Parker Stewart, you could see that that, that was going to be a tough assignment for him. Uh, and they started throwing Galloway on him and he made a difference. And then Ivy, I, I think was really the notion that the time where I think the staff said like, you know, Trey's the guy for this, you know, like when, when, when you're, when you're figuring out scouting reports and saying who needs to be the guy that's guarding the guy uh, that it, it, you know, on the perimeter, um, it took them a while to figure out that it's Galloway, but I think they figured it out lately that it's Galloway. Again, Johnson and Finnessy are big pieces of this. And, you know, when it's a point guard, you know, th those guys are, are more than qualified. But when you're when it's between Galloway or Stewart or Cop or even Bates, you know, Galloway is the clear option now at this point. Yeah. And he's been I mean, it's no coincidence that since he's come back, the Hoosiers are six and two. Uh, with with a number of big wins mixed in there so um he he's been enormous and i mean it, it's wild to think that we're 20 minutes into the podcast and haven't even really mentioned trace jackson davis either who hmm. um obviously is you almost run out of superlatives to to describe him at this point in his career i mean um when you kind of look at it big picture with him how much has he kind of helped his legacy at iu coming back this year and and having this season that he's having no a lot i mean and i think um it's it's one of those things where the because the nba um stock isn't moving as much as you would have thought i mean i i don't think um he's in an in interesting position I, I don't think it's a stone cold lock that he leaves um after this year because as much as he was talking about it like this is one more year um it's a good class um and and it's tough to break through as the type of guy he is as a six nine guy um, who, you know, hasn't necessarily expanded his range uh, the way I think that you would hope. But as far as winning basketball games, doing stuff that's important for Indiana, um, he keeps getting better. And even as a sophomore, I mean, I, I think, you know, there there is this narrative that like Woodson has improved him in a way that Archie Miller never could. 
And he has pushed him in ways that Archie didn't. But I thought he made big strides from year one to year two. And now he's making bigger strides from year two to year three. Um, I think, um, you know, he's been allowed to go block shots. And I think that's added an element to his game and, and, and made him a force. Uh, you know, he blocked shots before, but he was never allowed to leave his guy to go do it. You know, that like that's one thing that, that Trace told us when we asked him about it before is just basically that, you know, he would he, he would get blocks when the ball would get down in the paint on his guy and, and, and in some rotations. But mostly it was if your guy's down in the low block, you don't leave him because, you know, you might just give up an easy layup that way. But it's like Woodson's looked at it as if you can aggressively go after that shot, like you can pin it off the backboard and we're better off. And we also have other guys that can come behind you. If you have to, you know, a race Thompson or Jordan Geronimo in particular can come, you know, block if your guy gets the ball, um, you know, if they pass around you. Um, but he's added that piece. He's become, I think, a better passer. Um, I think um, it's still it, he's still sort of figuring that part out. But I think um, he's much better out of a double team of figuring out where the open guy is and whipping it out to him and getting it you know, on time and on target uh, to get somebody a shot. Um, and but I mean, he's still, you know really good scorer. I think he's getting better with the right hand, at least, even though, again, he's not taking shots a lot outside. Um, he's still proving, again, when he gets the ball around the block, it is so tough to stop him. Um, and, you know, now, you know, especially if he plays in a tournament, which I presume that they will. I mean, I, I don't see a collapse coming. Um, and he's part of Mike Woodson's beginning. Um, you know, for one thing, I mean, I think he was critical to keeping a lot of other pieces around, uh, in particular, Race Thompson. Um but, you know, I, I think he I think really got a lot of guys on board. And, and I think you're going to look at, you know, especially even the press conference he gave and some of the speeches he gave and, and the ways in which he embraced leadership um, in the wake of this coaching transition. Um, that it, it is going to be he like that that writes him into the lore. And, and obviously he's in a different place. Um, he's going to occupy a different place to do it than than some of the other, um, you know, Indiana legends, because a lot of those guys, you know, hung banners. And um, I'd be surprised if he does. I mean, even if he stays for a fourth year, I don't know that we're talking on that scale with these guys. You might, depending on, you know, what Jalen Huchifino looks like and what, um, you know, Caleb Banks looks like and 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 that sort of thing. And who else sticks around is to Xavier Johnson, you know, play what would be a fifth year of college, um, you know, those sorts of things. I mean, I think Ray Thompson has an option at a six, but if those guys play, who do you lose? You know, you're obviously dealing with all these eligibility and roster issues when it comes to the COVID year um, and figuring all that out. But if, you know, if he leaves after this year, you know, I mean, he matters in the lore. It's just, it's kind of unique um, because he is going to be one of those guys that, you know, never plays on a, on a title team, you know, probably doesn't win a big 10 championship, probably, you know, like it, they'll, they'd need a good break and a, and a heck of a second round game to get to a sweet 16. So like some of those things aren't there, but you know, his, his production numbers are, are going to be up there. Um, and you know, what happens long-term with Mike Woodson's tenure will trace, will come back to trace Jackson Davis. It is, it is a guy you'll tie back to um, in a way that maybe like a Steve Downing uh, mattered for Bobby Knight. Downing played on, on better teams and went further and had bigger numbers. Um, but, but guys sort of at the beginning of that night era that weren't around for 76, um, you know, like he is like, there are guys that you can point back to and say that, that this team is here because of that guy, you know, that because that guy bought in, he got things started and, and two, three, four years down the road, this is where they are. And, and it might not have been that way if that guy didn't buy into the system. Trace is going to be somebody like that. And, and his full legacy, I don't think becomes known until, Mike Woodson's 
you know, full coaching legacy becomes known. I mean, like you'll, you'll be able to tie a lot back of Mike Woodson's success to Trace Jackson Davis. And, and that's the last thing I wanted to touch on for, for basketball talk is uh, just what Mike Woodson has done here so quickly. I know uh, he wasn't um, the choice a lot of people maybe expected uh, when the position came open, um, but to see him just so quickly adapt to the college game uh, to get this team, this program turned around. And I, I really think just the excitement he's kind of immediately pumped back into this program has been huge. You saw it, I mean, in that Purdue game, obviously, and have seen it throughout the year. I mean, um, how almost unexpected has this season been for, for Mike Woodson? I mean, I wouldn't, I, I'm not going to go and call it completely unexpected yet. I mean, obviously I think the Purdue win in particular stands out as a, as, as a wow moment. Um, you know, I do think you looked at this group and said, you know, first of all, I think you looked at last year's team and said that should have been a tournament team. Uh, it shouldn't have been that bad. And so the pieces that were um, that stayed over plus the transfer portal guys he got plus Bates, you were like, you know, this this should be a team that gets in um, and, and maybe it should be a team that gets in comfortably. Um, there's still more. Uh, and, and I mean, I would say I think he's ahead of the game. Um, I don't know that it's like wildly drastically ahead. I mean, I, I think there's still a lot more we have to see about the season before before we kind of res- render, um, you know, solid verdicts. But I, I think that if you and like in terms of like where would I have expected them to be, it, it kind of depends on when you would have asked me in sort of the initial transition weeks. Um, you know, obviously, I think it was a big, you know, like he kept making smart decisions out of the gate. And Indiana, I think, kept making smart decisions out of the gate. I think to go get a Thad Bond to kind of, It's a backing there to say we're going to get a guy to be part of this who's been around and won as a head coach at the college level. You know, he's not going to be on the bench, but he's going to be close to it. He's going to be somebody that that, uh, Woodson can go to for, you know, advice and guidance. Um, Then to keep an assistant like Kenya Hunter. And and, and he had Mike Roberts on staff before Mike um, decided to go to. Uh, Cincinnati to follow Wes Miller, which is really, you know, one of his guys or, or his guy, really. I mean, they, they got a lot done together at UNC Greensboro. So, I mean, that, that's they're very closely bounded. Um, but keeping around guys that have been on Miller's staff, you know, and, and, and not just them, but like a Brian Walsh, um, you know, other sort of lower level guys not deciding to, you know, rip the joint apart you know, from the studs and say, well, there's nobody in here that I can use to say, hey, you know what? You guys have been around. You know what you're doing. I'm, I'm not going to act like I know who my video coordinator needs to be, you know, at the college level, I'm, I'm just going to roll with what's here. I'm going to trust that you guys know what you're doing. Um, and, and, you know, getting a Dane Fife who wasn't necessarily a guy that he'd cross paths with a lot, but was an Indiana guy. And he knew that. Um, I mean, I think there was a lot of smart calls to put him in a position to make the transition easier on himself. And I think required him to, uh, you know, operate with less of an ego. And I, I think that's impressive. Um, and so at, at that point, when you start to see, what he was doing there, you know, you know, like I think Trace Jackson Davis's press conference when he said he was coming back, um, you know, really gave you a sense that it was that that he was connecting in the right way uh, or, or, or in, in an interesting and a productive way um, mm-hmm. to be able to say, all right, you know, like to, to tell Trace, this is where you need to get better. Like, like this is I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to tell you I need you. But in the same way, I'm going to tell you that you're not good enough right now for the NBA. And you need to know that and you need to hear that from me and you need to hear how I'm going to make you better. Um, Again, just because of the way he handled a lot of those things, got a sense that it was going to be pretty good. 
and you keep hearing good things. I mean, like, um, you know, like you don't want to get ahead of your skis. I mean, you, you don't want to say, okay, well, they're, you know, a step away from being a Big Ten championship team. But he's done a good job of connecting with guys where they are. Um, he's done a good job, I think, of, of you know, building real confidence in a guy like Rob Finnessy. And that's something Archie Miller tried to do for years. He really wanted to. It's not something that he didn't know was an important thing. But, you know, Mike's managed to get across to Finnessy in a way that, that he had. Um, you know, uh, uh, Xavier Johnson, you know, kind of keeping him together. Um, you know, you're going to you're going to look back at that booing moment uh, at the crossroads and how Mike guided him through that as a really big key for this season. Like that mattered to X a lot. Um, and so, you know, like that's a big reason why he is where he is, because, you know, for Mike to tell him personally, but then to go out and publicly say none of this, you know, no, like don't mess with my guys. I will tell them when they screwed up, you know, like and that's it's a big deal because, look, this Indiana fan base is opinionated um, and, and it, yeah. it believes in itself. Um, and, and, you know, uh, to its it, it, to its credit, um, you know, I mean, I learn basketball things from fans all the time like i don't want to sit here and 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 knock the um basketball iq of the indiana fan base it is very 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 high um but because it is very high they have confidence in themselves to speak out loud when they think somebody is screwing up and be very very vocal about it and um you know mike's sort of getting that thing across of like all right whatever I, i know you guys are smart and all but it's my team uh i'll tell my guy when he screwed up you don't need to be the guy that tells my guy when i screw up when he screws up, I'll tell him, I, I, I want him to do certain things. That's my job, not yours. Um, that that's a big moment. You know, that is one that I think is going to, that, that mattered to X. And I think everybody else noticed it. And so things like that, um, I think explain why they are where they are right now. Um, and again, I think there's bumps in the road to come, you know, I mean, uh, as much as everybody was like ready to crown Mike Woodson, King of all of Hoosier land after Purdue, like everybody was, equally angry when Michigan blew their doors off. And, you know, before that, you know, they go on the road to uh, no environment and lose a Penn State. I mean, there are rocky roads to come. People are going to be saying, oh, my, you know, like you guys crowned them too fast. You guys this, that, whatever. So we got to be careful not to do that. Um, but all the same, I think when you look at the whole of where this is going and the, and the progress and kind of the big picture stuff, um, those are some things that stand out to me as to why it seems to be at least a little bit ahead of schedule. Yeah, and this – if nothing else, the program is certainly trending upward and in in a really good place right now. And uh, he's a big part of that. Trace is everybody, seemingly everybody with the roster right now is a part of that. Want to talk to you guys real quick about uh, an app everybody needs to be using called the Get Upside app. We all have to buy gas. Uh, we all complain about the gas prices every time we do it as well. Get Upside uh, is a free app. Download in the App Store, Google Play, that helps you get cash back on each uh, purchase of gas. Uh, simply use a promo code SCORE for $0.25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill-up cash back. Uh, but you don't have to pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. It was really simple. Uh, I've used it a couple times. You just download the app, uh, find the gas station you're going to, claim the offer, head to the gas station, check in. Fill up, the cash will go back into your account. Uh, for me, it's taken about 24 hours each time. It's simple to cash out at any time you want, whether to your bank account, to PayPal, to a gift card, uh, to Amazon, or to other places. Uh, there's no catch. It's just a, a simple free app to use. Uh, download it today. Get Upside. Use that promo code SCORE to get $0.25 cents per gallon or more cash back 
on your first tank. That's promo code SCORE on the Get Upside app. Obviously, they have had the week off after that Maryland game, and IU football has taken the opportunity to make all sorts of noise during yes. that during that week. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the the big news um, is uh, losing uh, running back coach, associate head coach Dylan McCullough, uh, but kind of simultaneously with that, uh, all three of his sons are staying. So, kind of a two pronged question: How much does losing him as a coach? Uh, hurt and how much uh, does it help or kind of positively impact the program to for all three stun, sons to remain at IU? Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting and I and I, um, I want to see it all play out. I mean, it, it's a little, it's pretty wild to me that they all made this announcement within 24 hours. Um, Same, yeah. And so I, I like long term effect. I want to you know ask me in a year if they're all still there. Um, and cause I, I mean, I, I guess I was most surprised by, by day. I think that's his, I think that's how you say his name is day McCullough, the one who's not signed. Um, uh, cause I wasn't sure what the son was going to do cause he's already on campus and he's got an NLI and he would have needed Indiana to give him a, um, uh, a, a waiver, uh, for, for him to be able to go. And, and obviously Dylan could just enter the portal if he wanted to. Now that being said, you know, he's a Miami, Ohio transfer, was Notre Dame going to want him? Um, that that uh, you, you got to ask yourself some question there. Though. He'd only been playing on special teams, you know. Like, is uh, is Marcus Freeman, you know, offering Dylan, you know, the second of scholarship? Uh, I don't know. Um, but all the same, I mean, Day Day and and Desan could clearly go to Notre Dame, you know, with, without any problem. Um, so for them to come out and say, you know, we're definitely staying in Indiana, I, I think is really important. Uh, it, it obviously helps IU's cause again, you know, at least for a year, I presume. Um, you know, again, you never know if Desan plays for a year and says, man, I really want to go. That The point was to come play with dad on staff. I want to go play with dad on staff. I mean, he had his own reasons. I mean, I talked to him, um, you know, right before signing day to to really get into his sort of thinking and everything. And, you know, I mean, he likes what they do on defense. Um, and even though there's a new defensive coordinator, he likes what Tom Allen does. He, he likes the freedom it provides. I mean, he's such a multi-talented guy. He makes you think of, you know, it, it, not at that level, but like Micah Parsons, um, you know, is a six, five guy who can rush. He can play, you know, regular, you know, Mike or, or stinger linebacker. You can move him back to safety. You know, he's got covered skills. He's got edge rush skills. I mean, he's just a heck of an athlete, you know, for this sort of um, modern game. And he's a, he's a big deal by himself, just keeping him in the fold. Um, but you know, if, uh, I'm, I'm sure that Notre Dame would be happy to have him and would have a place to find, uh, you know, would be able to find a place that he could play f- football for them. So um, I'll, I'll be interested to see if that sticks around, but, you know, still at least for now to make it feel like the sky isn't falling, um, it's a big deal. And so at least if that keep, if you keep him around for a year and, and you at least get to see what he can do um, and get some plays out of him, then it's like, okay, like it, 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 it keeps that class together. He was a big part of that, of, of making sure nobody jumped ship, um, you know, while they were two and 10. So that, that I think is important. Uh, as far as dealing the coach, I mean, I, it obviously I think does something to um, the perception of the program um, and that, that matters in recruiting going forward. Um, because, you know, here's a guy that you got back from the Kansas city chiefs. I mean, he was part of this wave of really good news for like, look at Indiana football. Oh my God. They're a top 15, you know, they were top 12 in uh, 2020 and they're top, you know, going into the season, top 25 and, you know, 17 overall. 
um, in 2021. And then to go two and 10, it, it adds to the feeling of the bottom is falling out. And, you know, that that this notion that Indiana was rising to become one of the powers in the Big Ten East and, uh, you know, it was going to be nationally competitive. Obviously, it's one of those things that that, that takes a shot because it's Dylan McCullough saying, I can't pass on Notre Dame, you know, from Indiana. Like, that's just too good a job. And, um, you know, if Indiana was going to be a, you know, uh, steady top 25 program for a while and, and McCullough had been a piece of it, you know, building up that way. I mean, he was like, he wanted to be part of it going well. And the fact that he's off that ship in a year and saying, well, no, I'm going to go coach for Marcus Freeman. Um, it, it, it takes some shine off, you know, and, and, and there was already a lot of shine taken off uh, by two and 10 in the first place. So percept in terms of perception, uh, it's rough. I mean, I think they can obviously find a good running backs coach. I think Dylan is very good running backs coach. Um, you know, it, like, but he had a mixed bag uh, really in 2021 because you had, um, I thought Stephen Carr performed pretty well, but he didn't, you know, turn himself into an all big 10 player or anything like that. He was steady, but he wasn't spectacular. You can blame that on the offensive line, but I mean, you know, I, I thought Carr was good and, you know, great kid to talk to and everything like that, but di didn't blow everybody's doors off. And then beyond him, you know, everybody that lost out to him in the competition transfers, you know, Tim Baldwin Jr., Samson James, both transferred. David Ellis was part of that, but it's always kind of going to be a gadget guy and he gets hurt. Um, and so your next guys down the line are walk-ons. And I thought they played well. I mean, you got to give credit to Davion over and Poindexter for turning into a very, um, you know, uh, just um not valid, but sturdy player. I mean, I think he became a, a playmaking guy. Chris Childers was solid. Charlie Spiegel had some good moments. Um, but the fact that you were down to walk-ons, um, you know, yeah, okay, it's, there's there's obviously some flip sides to that. So, um, and then he goes recruits a, a whole bunch of pieces, transfers, Sean Shivers and Josh Henderson. Um, but those guys have only produced so much. I mean, like you look at this running back room and you don't know what you're getting this season you know there are some some good looking uh you know freshman guys they got jabron Payne, um the kid jalen lucas from new orleans uh you know he got some impressive work done on the, on the recruiting trail but you're looking at freshmen sophomores and david holloman and trent howland you only know so much about them at this point uh some transfers you know sean shivers is a scat back type guy josh henderson barely produced in north carolina um so you have no idea who your starting running back is um in 2022 and it's going to be a new running backs coach that's going to have to figure all that out um you know like McCullough has a way he likes to build a running back room. Now he's built it for somebody who, you know, is is not is going to come in not knowing what his plans were. Allen might tell him that might help, um, but he's not going to be the same guy. And so it's it's tough from a pure X's and O's, you know, like development perspective. It's tough from a perceptive standpoint. Um, I mean, it's it's survivable. It's still a running backs coach. You know, it's not the same as even losing a coordinator, much less a head coach. Um, but it stings. You know, it, it definitely stings for Indy, for Indiana. Um, you know, again, from a you know a perception thing is a really big piece because I think them getting a guy who would you know won a Super Bowl, been a part of another one, uh, to come back to college and get this take this job and then leave it, uh, it again, it just takes some shine off for where Indiana football seemed to be going. Yeah, and there was kind of the sense that the sky is falling just because of the the mass amount of turnover this mm -hmm. off season, whether it was. Um, the coaches with two new coordinators coming in, whether it was, I mean, seemingly across the line uh, or maybe except for the line itself offensively, yeah. everybody is, it kind of is new. And I mean, mm -hmm. is there, is there a, a root cause to that? Is it going to and 10? Is it just the nature of kind of modern football now? I mean, I'm presuming that's, that's obviously a big piece to it. Um, and I think everybody else had their individual reasons um, of feeling like some guys felt like they needed another 
um, you know, just just needed new um, new surroundings. And you could see why. I mean, if you look at in every individual case, I mean, like Michael Penix, I mean, guy, what, what was that four season end, ending injuries? Yep. I think he was just like, man, I, I got to get out of here. Uh, this is I, I, it, it, it's house of horrors for me. I just I need to be someplace else because it just keeps going wrong. Um, and I think I think Michael Penix loved Indiana and, and he obviously won a bunch of games. And I think it was just like he felt like it, it was time to move on and get a fresh start because, my God, just every every year, every single. I mean, that guy played four seasons and never played a bucket game. Yeah. You know, and there and, and even though there wasn't one in 2020, he would not have played it if there was. Um, and so like, he just never made it to the end of the year and, and, and had some spectacular moments, but never really seemed to be, uh, have it together in, in 2021. So you kind of see, you know, he is the most high profile, uh, loss, but you know, I, I think a lot of people were like, even I think Indiana fans were sort of ready of, for him to move on and just say, you know, Mike, maybe you need to, you need to get out of here. Cause I don't think we can watch this happen to you again. Um, mm -hmm you know, just, just the incredible heartbreak. And it, it, maybe it's just time for, for somebody else to be in that spot. Um, but, you know, other pieces, I mean, a Miles Marshall never, you know, did, didn't produce this year the way that he was supposed to. I and mean, they had some other guys, um, you know, obviously Freifogel and, and, and Carr were out of eligibility. Hendershot, you know, has enough reason to jump at the NFL shot now. I mean, I don't know that he's going to be a high draftee, but he'll at least end up in somebody's camp. Uh, I don't know that it does him any good to stay a sixth year. I don't think that would have made any difference for him, especially with, you know, presumably a new quarterback new coordinator i mean like this is a jump on you know strike while the iron's hot moment for him um so so with with those losses matt bjors in a blocking tight end uh you know, maybe you can find more time elsewhere um but it's aj i mean I, I think that's the one position that you look at and say well there's a guy that's that's going to be the guy aj barner seems like the obvious choice um to be next in line but if you're right running back wide receiver you really don't know i think it's it, it matters that dj matthews is sticking around um, and deciding that he's going to go at it and, and rehab from his ACL. Um, and, you know, cause he was, I, I think he was going to be one of the most important offensive players before he, he got injured. Um, mm -hmm. but no, I mean, I think obviously, I mean, there's, there's individual reasons and there's two intent. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I, I think when something like this happens, like there, there, there's this notion that there is, you know, something rotten in Denmark or whatever, if you will. And, and, and if, and if you were spending time in the locker room, you would realize that everybody hates each other. And it's just, you know, like Elio is a total lie and you know, like it's everybody's at each other's throat and everybody's has to get out of it. And I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I, I didn't get that impression. Um, but I mean, we're not allowed, you know, in the locker room. You know, like we, we, we're not allowed to just hang, go hang out with those guys um, and, and get a sense of, OK, like how much, you know, camaraderie was lost or, or how much of it is just the feeling of like, oh, my God, we're two and ten. But I mean, they, they didn't get off the canvas, you know, at the end of the year. I mean, like you have to say that is, is, is once they took a couple of shots I mean, the last three games, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of fight left. You know, like they they had sort of so I mean that's obviously not good signs. I mean, like again, like I don't know, you know, um if somebody didn't like this coordinator or somebody didn't like that guy or somebody didn't like this coach or these players didn't like each other. You know, I don't know about any of that. And and nobody is going to tell us um as far as that's concerned. But you know, when you lose football games, people tend not to want to stick around. But I think, you know, I mean, Alan, I think looked at it as, you know, there needs to be new blood, and I think that makes sense. You know, I think a lot, you know, I I think the one thing that was said. Um, about, you know, from a chemistry standpoint, I guess, um, that, that a couple people brought up was, was that, that there was a sense that because all these guys were coming back, they were just going to naturally start at a baseline of like six and six, 
that like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they didn't have to push themselves past their previous limits to, to, you know, be that successful that they could sort of pencil in um, eight wins or something like that to start. Like they were going to be that good. And it was just take, taking it up a notch because all these dudes were coming back um, and there wasn't a sense of urgency um, and that cost them. Uh, that's sort of, I think something that's um, been explained. I mean, and, and, and it's hard to tell, okay, who didn't play with a sense of urgency? Mike McFadden certainly did. Um, yeah. and some of those other guys certainly did, but you know, uh, you could see some others maybe didn't. Um, and so that I think ultimately just leads to some people just thinking, you know, it's time for me to be someplace else. And, you know, especially when you're talking about guys that had, had already been there for four years and like, yeah, they had maybe two more years left because of COVID, but it was just like, all right, kind of done my time here. And, you know, if I'm going to keep playing, if I'm going to stay in college, maybe I ought to go someplace else and you know, go see what's you know, greener on the other side, see what this is like, get get an idea of being in someone else's system. But, you know, kind of felt like, hey, you know, I promised four, I gave four, you know, I'll, I'll look for someplace else where I can make an impact or, you know, someone saying, hey, and, I, and I'm sure in some of those cases, it was Tom Allen saying, hey, man, we're, we're, we're going to recruit over you. You know, we're like you're yeah. you're behind the depth chart now. And ultimately, you know, we don't necessarily see you, um, you know, being uh, like you've got a chance I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll be evaluated. You have an opportunity, but if you're asking us where you stand right now, like we are going to go, you know, we don't view you as a def- definitive starter and we're going to go to get, try to get players who are better than you. So, mm-hmm. you know, do with that what you will and, and probably let some guys decide it was time to move on. Um, so there's a lot of pieces there, but uh, you know, the, the bottom line driving forces two and 10 drives a lot of people out you know, at the end of the day. And sometimes that's the coach's call and sometimes that's the player's call. But ultimately, you know, when you go two and 10, um, generally people don't want to see, you know, don't want to sequel that. You so, don't typically run it back after two no, and 10. you don't run it back after two and 10. Oh, yeah, and nine, so, maybe 10. You know, yeah. So, so uh, I've said a couple times that uh, I would imagine this is the last we'll talk about IU football until the spring, but they keep you don't know that. <laughs> yeah, they keep making news, so mm-hmm. I'm not even going to make that promise anymore. There's more but... to come. There's a running back coach hire to make, uh, yeah. and there is there is certainly more inf- more info to be had. But there's a lot. I mean, I think it's going to be an interesting spring. Obviously, you're going to have Very a pretty wide open quarterback competition uh, with Basilak, with Tuttle, with McCauley. Um, I, I presume Dexter Williams will make his presence known and the Soresby kid is interesting that they, that they signed today. Um, so it, it is going to be worth checking out. Yeah. It's certainly going to be a, an exciting spring for maybe different reasons than last year, but uh, yeah. uh, nonetheless, it'll be interesting to to follow this program as they uh, try to come back up after a brutal season last year. Uh, that is all we have today. I know this ran longer than I'd said, but uh, thank you a ton for coming on today again and and talking Absolutely. about everything going on with IU Athletics right now because mm-hmm. uh, there is certainly a lot going on. So thanks a ton for coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jacob. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks again to Dustin for joining us today. Uh, a huge thanks for uh, stopping by and having that conversation with us. We'll be back tomorrow to preview the Illinois game uh, and hopefully another big win for the Hoosiers. Now, for your second listen today, head on over to the Locked on Bets podcast, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. Appreciate all the love you guys have given us. If you haven't already, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a quick rating. Helps us out a ton. Uh, Most importantly, though, guys, 
have a great Thursday. Stay, stay safe with Snowmageddon going on out there. And Elio.